The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the podcast. Our team of producers reached out repeatedly to Gene and Liberty Kasem to participate in this story. A lawyer for Gene told us this isn't a good time for Gene to speak. Liberty did not respond to our requests. Over the years, Gene has denied any allegations of abuse. It's May of 2014, and Casey Kasem is still missing. He's last seen leaving Las Vegas with his wife, Jean, and their daughter, Liberty. Tracking their every move is a team of private eyes, attorneys, friends, and of course, his devoted family. We will find my dad, and we will bring him home. What Kiri doesn't yet realize is just how incredibly challenging that will be. I'm Martin Cove, and this is Bitter Blood, Kasem versus Kasem, Episode 5, Silverdale. As the family feud plays out on national television, people reach out with sightings of Casey. Private investigator Logan Clark gets a tip. There was a private plane leased in Las Vegas, and... We did not know the destination of it until we found out that an ambulance was dispatched to meet that plane from Vegas. It landed in Seattle and the ambulance met the plane. The driver was not freaked out at first, but they brought Casey out. He was obviously very ill and they put him in the ambulance and the driver started headed for the hospital. And Gene said, no, we're not going to the hospital. We're going to this address. The ambulance driver really got freaked out when he was told they were not going to the hospital with this incredibly ill patient. When the paramedic came to pick up my dad from the life flight, that was from Las Vegas to Washington. He said there was something really, really wrong. Nobody would talk to him. Nobody would tell him what was going on. They didn't go immediately to a hospital. My dad was very sick and he could see that. So he made a report to Adult Protective Services. Now this was the third report made on Gene Kasem. Casey is transported to Silverdale, a small town about an hour outside Seattle. The family home of Shasta Bartoheim, Gene's childhood friend from Guam. Once we got the address, I contacted my agents in the Seattle area and got agents over there right away. While a PI stakes out the house, Kerry jumps on the first flight from Los Angeles to Seattle. I won conservatorship in California at this point, which is called guardianship pretty much anywhere else. So when I went to Washington and I took my court papers with me with the ruling, it didn't you couldn't cross state lines with it. So my my guardianship was not good in Washington. I had to fight all over again. Once Jean arrives at her friend's home in Silverdale, 
She connects with a local doctor. Donald Sharman comes to the house to treat Casey and set him up on a nursing schedule. When I first saw him the first day, he was thin. He appeared to have some malnutrition at that time. Dr. Sharman is hesitant to transfer Casey to the hospital because of the risk of infections. He tries to sort out the warring family accusations and later speaks about that in a deposition. I definitely was favoring Jeannie's story because she was the patient's wife. So, and the story was presented in a, in a way that was believable. Dr. Sharman also consults with another person, John Paul Gressy. He's the man Jean and Casey's staff say they saw living in the couple's Malibu condo and Holmby Hills mansion, sharing a bedroom with Jean. Did you ever speak to somebody named John Paul Gressy? I think he was the one who was um, Jeannie's lawyer. Did he say he was Jeannie's lawyer? It seems like it. There were a number of times when they would get on the phone together, John and Jeannie, and sometimes they'd want me to write a letter to uh, state my position about something. Sometimes they would want me to review records. Did he represent himself to be her attorney? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know how, what that relationship was about. I think she referred to him as her attorney or her lawyer. She definitely wanted him to participate and help her in whatever way. With the clock ticking on Casey's health, Carrie's trying to get medical control in the state of Washington. Although she knows where Casey is, Carrie can't legally enter the house without a court order. A private eye watches the house around the clock. When my agents arrived at the house, they were reporting to me in real time. And my female agent said, this is really bizarre, Logan. There are a group of motorcycle guys outside. They're drinking beer. It looks like a block party. Jean and some other women were all out partying like crazy on the front yard. And the window, the great big picture window, the curtains are opened and there is a hospital type bed that props up sitting in front of the window so that everybody can see him. And Casey's lying there. I don't know if it was a celebration or they were trying to show that Casey's alive. It just made no sense to me. Why open the curtains and have him there like a prop? For two agonizing weeks, Carrie can only wait in a local hotel. Finally, a judge grants orders for her to see her father and get him evaluated at a nearby hospital. So I went with my PI, Michael, and we knock on the door and we get told you're not going to see your dad. Sorry. And that's when Stephen Hume, who is the brother of Shasta, Jean's friend, uh, a very nice man comes out. He's as honest as can be. He's an Eagle Scout. 
And he says, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on here. Jean obviously doesn't like you guys, but I don't understand why your father would marry a woman who doesn't like his own kids and why she's keeping you from them. Well, Jean had gotten notice that I was at the house and she was out. So she drives up, literally you could hear the tire screeching. She comes to a slamming halt. She opens the door and runs up to me, literally in my face. Now this is a a gigantic woman. I mean, she's large and she's towering over me, screaming at me. I felt like it was Godzilla in my face and there's fire coming at me. Well, all I could think of was stay calm, stay calm and let people see this because she came with a group of police officers and there was Stephen Hume and Shasta and it was me and my PI and I just stood there on their porch and she's screaming in my face all this nonsense and all I keep saying is I want to see my dad there's more screaming there's more screaming and I say I have a court order I want to see my dad Undeterred, Carrie goes back to the house a second time. There were these bikers that were literally blocking off the house, these Harley Davidson geriatric bikers. It was like a small chain that was out in front of the house of these very old bikers. And they just stood there, just made made a little wall so we couldn't get in. And I mean, it was unbelievable. This is like, this is crazy. So that's, that's when Stephen Hume, the brother, the Eagle Scout brother, the only one with common sense in that entire house, came and said, look, they have a court order. Let, let them both in. And we walk into the house, and it's, you know, my dad's, my dad's got a lot of money. He should be in a facility that is top-notch. You know, he worked his whole life to... <laughs> this is a very successful man. Why is he in something that looks like a double-wide literally trailer. I mean, what is this? What's going on here? And so I go into the, the the back bedroom and there's Shasta sitting there and I I think her mom was there, Fern, and we we walk into this back bedroom. He's in this tiny back bedroom with a little air conditioner and there's this window facing a backyard and he's sweating and there's a fan above him. I'm like, "What is going on?" And this is the last time I heard my dad talk. I said, Dad. And he's like, Angel. And I said, I love you. And I, I gave him this hug. And I said, oh, Dad, you look good. And he goes, I know. It was so cute. He was just so cute. And we just, we had this beautiful, beautiful, like, like visit. When Carrie comes back a third time, she brings an ambulance, her private investigator, and a court order to get Casey a hospital evaluation. Once again, she's met with a line of bikers in front of the house. The paramedics try to get into the house to get my dad, along with every all this other confusion, and they won't let him in. So I'm like, what's going on? Like, we just need to take dad to the hospital. What's the problem here? It's the hospital. You can come to the hospital if you want to come. There was no, anybody could have gone to the hospital. We were all allowed to see dad. Well, all of a sudden, what do we hear? We hear fire trucks and another ambulance. Jean has called Dr. Sharman. 
Sheeney called me and said, can you please come over to the house? I remember going into the home and because they said Liberty was having trouble. So Liberty was having an asthma attack and paramedics were called for her. So there was quite a commotion because you had the paramedics out there coming in to check on Liberty. And then you had Jeannie all upset. Sirens screech, lights blink, paramedics, firefighters, bikers, and private investigators scurry around. And Carrie keeps trying to reach her dad. And then... Jean comes flying out of the house, looking like a crazy person. And I remember saying, Michael, get this, get this, get this. It's on my phone. In the order of King David, go ahead and take me. In the order of King David, I I am, I am. And she chucks this, like, frozen meat at me. And she keeps going off. And, I, I mean, this woman is not religious. She doesn't go to church. Carrie's video goes viral. While everyone watching tries to figure out what this video means, Logan Clark connects the dots from his earlier investigation. The boyfriend, John Paul, was living in Casey's Malibu condo and... We spoke to the neighbors that saw him all the time. And we were told by two different neighbors that he would go down into the parking area and in the front of the apartment and he would have a Bible in his hand. He had this long white hair that went down to his shoulders and he would scream about King David and go up to other people getting into their cars in the parking lot and start talking to them about King David and the neighbors told us he was just weird they said they didn't understand it he just kind of seemed to be in a trance I would imagine that that is where Gene got the King David reference it made no sense at all what she did but it made sense when you bring in John Paul and the Bible Gene has a different explanation, which he told the CBS show 48 Hours. I turned around to look for something, and there was meat in the kitchen. I grabbed the meat, and I came out here, and then um, I started walking this way with the meat in my hand. To me, they were treating my husband, an American treasure, Casey Kasem, like a piece of meat. Finally, the paramedics are able to get Casey into the ambulance. Carrie rides with him to the hospital. That ambulance ride was terrifying. Um, my dad's blood pressure kept dropping. And, you know, when you hear that, you know, we, you know, we don't want to lose him or something to that effect. It was terrifying. Several days later, Jean holds a press conference to address multiple complaints filed against her with adult protective services from the children the paramedics, and the hospital. They have filed several fraudulent reports with the Adult Protective Services in California and now in Washington out of revenge. And the APS have never found their allegations to be true or have any merit. He's extremely well cared for round the clock. He's receiving fine medical attention here in Kitsap County. At a conference in 2019, Casey's daughter, Julie, says Jean blamed her and her siblings for the move to Washington State. 
She constantly told the media that we were toxic and we're toxic children and we're so horrible. And the reason she took him to Washington was to get away from the media circus that was these terrible children. You know, it's like there was no media circus until you stopped letting us see him. Jean's childhood friend Shasta, who houses Casey, later tells 48 Hours that Casey had all the medical equipment he needed and received good care. No, he was not in any pain in this house, ever. It's a different story once Casey arrives at St. Anthony's Hospital. Dr. Ramon Bassa. When I spoke with Mr. Kasem, uh, he raised his eyebrows when I asked him if he was in pain. And it was also brought to my attention by one of the nurses that he had been grimacing and moaning periodically throughout the day. Um, and which had been improving every time we gave him some IV morphine uh, pain medication. Another doctor. Dr. Juan Irigi confirms that Casey's pain is severe. I concluded that his pain was uh, 8 out of 10, 10 being the worst possible pain. Despite the doctor's assessments, Gene demands that Casey be released and returned to Shasta's home. But doctors refuse, saying they want more tests done. I had chills all over my body. It was like... Finally, finally, my dad was going to be in the proper hands. Tests reveal Casey is malnourished. He also has a massive stage 3 bed sore, a lung infection, a urinary tract infection, and other ailments needing immediate care. A hospital doctor says his long road trip has only worsened his condition. The poor mobility the impaired swallow, the pre-existing impaired nutrition, pre-existing significant recent infections all contribute to a shortening of his lifespan. Later that night, in a scene eerily similar to the one in Santa Monica almost a month earlier, Jean and Dr. Sharman stormed the hallways of St. Anthony's Hospital. Once again, she demands the hospital release Casey. We didn't understand why at 10.30 at night they wanted to take a very sick man out of the hospital. So Gene was asked to wait by a security guard, and he all he said, and this is what we heard from the supervising nurse, was she, he just said, let me make a call, hold on. Gene went ballistic. Ballistic, this is my husband, you're this, you're that, started calling people names. She called the head nurse a fat fucking bitch. And at that point, she was asked to leave. The hospital staff calls security, and she is escorted out of the building. Hospital doctor Ramon Bassa is later questioned by lawyers about what happened that night. During the meeting, when there was discussion about the desire of Gene's team to get Mr. Kasem discharged and the desire of the hospital to keep him at the hospital, did Mrs. Kasem see her husband at all? No. And when it became clear at the meeting 
that the hospital was not going to discharge him, did Mrs. Kasem request to see her husband, to go visit him? No. When Jean and Liberty finally come to see Dad, they ask us to leave the room. Even though we all have a court order to be in there, we respectfully leave the room so she can have time with Dad. And she spends five minutes with him. She could, she could have taken hours. She could have been there. We could have traded off hour after hour. But instead, she leaves after a few minutes, tells this ridiculous story to the media. I haven't been able to see him since last Friday when we were told that we had a few minutes to say goodbye. On June 9th, 2014, the team of doctors at St. Anthony's decide Casey is dying, and it is time to discontinue his artificial nutrition and hydration. Again, Dr. Iregi. I felt that at that point, those interventions did not have an endpoint other than prolonging his death and his suffering. And when the doctors came in, and there were a couple that came in and said, it's futile, your dad's dying. I couldn't hear that. I mean, I fought so hard for so long. I remember they, they said the, 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 the hydration is drowning him and he's not digesting food anymore. It's backing up. I said, well, let's just take him off. You know, can you take him off of the hydration and let his lungs dry up? Would that get him better? Then put him back on, you know, just to dry it up. And I remember they took him off, and then I was the one who said, can you put him back on, please? He's going to be thirsty. He's going to be thirsty. I couldn't quite understand this. This is when my sister pulled me aside, and she explained to me about, you know, dying people, that they're not hungry. They're not thirsty. It's like you're in the hospital room, and your doctors are telling you he's going to die drowning to death, or he's going to die peacefully. There's no option. You don't have an option. Julie flies in from Los Angeles. Mike from Singapore. The siblings reunite to face the inevitable. Carrie's ex-boyfriend, Jesse Cove, remembers that harrowing time. I was on the phone with her and she told me this might be the night. There was like three nights of that, four nights of that. This might be the night. This might be the night. While Casey's eldest children are at his bedside, Gene is at a Los Angeles courtroom. Crime reporter Melissa McCarty. Gene's not only away from Casey while he's dying in Washington State, she's in a courtroom trying to overturn the doctor's decision. Now, she's claiming Casey always wanted to be kept alive with artificial nutrition and hydration. So she's essentially claiming that his own kids are now trying to kill him. Jean's represented by her 13th attorney in four months. On the other side is Kiri's attorney, Martha Patterson. So the morning that I was in court with Jean Kasem, she's just arguing it, ambushing. She wants to make this, you know, dramatic point of how we're killing him because we're removing artificial nutrition and hydration. That was just so wrong because that wasn't true. It, it was the artificial nutrition and hydration that was killing him, not the removal. And at the court's direction, 
I called them and the doctors said, we will not honor this order. And I talked to the physician who had been there, who had said to remove the artificial nutrition. He said, I'm Catholic, I'm pro-life, but this is hurting him. This is harmful. I cannot, I will not restore artificial nutrition hydration. I will not do it. It is hurting him. This hospital, these doctors, they you can't get more pro-life than a Catholic hospital. They were there. They were acting in every manner to do everything to keep him alive as long as possible. Two days later, on June 11th, Carrie's lawyers enter the courtroom with heavy hearts. Attorney Troy Martin represented Carrie and her siblings. It was by far the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. I knew I was doing the right thing, but it was still very difficult to do. I remember a very intense scene with Gene Kasem in the court yelling at the judge, you've got blood on your hands, yelling that Troy Martin, you have killed my husband, and walking out of the courtroom and taking a minute to compose myself because I knew that there were cameras out there. And I just had to take a deep breath. I almost broke down because of the emotions of everything that had just happened. Leaving the courtroom, Martha sees Jean approach TV cameras set up to cover another celebrity court date. I watched Jean go up to the TV cameras and I realized she was gonna go on camera for her now press conference. The latest is the judge decided to kill my husband today. This judge, the PVP attorney, Sam Ingham, Carrie Kasem, and her hired liars decided to kill my husband today. They all have blood on their hands. So here's Jane, and literally, I'm standing behind the cameraman, so when she's screaming, you have blood on your hands, she's screaming that at me. She's screaming that I have blood on my hands. And I'm looking at her going, I have no blood on my hands. I have done everything right. You have blood on your hands. I knew she had blood on her hands. It was her, not me. And this was all a big publicity stunt. It was, you know, it was horrible. More than 1,000 miles away, Casey Kasem is dying. Carrie knows it's time to focus on the moments he has left. I couldn't stop fighting. I couldn't stop fighting. And I wouldn't, I couldn't hear it. It's really weird. Usually I'm like rational. I'm like, okay, okay, well, that's what we have to do now. I couldn't be rational. I said, well, well, can't we give him something? Isn't there something we can do to fix it? We have to fix it. And there was nothing I could do to fix it. And that was, um, that was, um, too much for me to, to take in. I guess I couldn't, I couldn't do it because, um, I was the fighter. I was the one that was going to make it okay. And at that point, I couldn't make it okay. I couldn't fix it. But facing grief isn't the only battle. What lies ahead is almost unfathomable. Casey would vanish again. I chased after Casey when he was alive, and I had to chase after him when he was dead. 
trying to find his body.